I started this because I saw people who I consider my friends, people that I'd worked really closely with for years. And I, I looked at their business and I said, look, I can, I'm not going to be their creatives. I'm not going to be their accountants, but I see something that could make their businesses better. And I started this for them. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Welcome to Authentically Successful. I'm Carol Schultz. Joining me today is Dave Milliken, founder and CEO of Greetly. Dave founded Greetly in 2014. They're a fully customizable visitor management system serving enterprise and SMB clients across the globe. Their digital receptionist app saves time and money by modernizing its customers' receptionist capabilities, by managing their visiting customers, vendors, and interview candidates, as well as packaging food deliveries, facility tours, secured facility entry and exit, and more. From instant visitor notifications and collecting e-signatures to printing visitor badges, Greetly can be customized to the branding and unique receptionist needs for every work environment. In fact, Greetly's solutions are used by several well-known brands, including DHL, Office Evolution, the United States Air Force, the Dallas Cowboys, and Randstad. Dave, that's a lot. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I look forward to speaking with you today. Yeah, me too. Did I hit all the high points? What else would you like to fill in about your company? Wow, you definitely hit some of the high points. It's always nice to uh, remember our, our client list and uh, you know how much how much work we've achieved to land things like the U.S. Air Force and Randstad, mm-hmm. one of the world's biggest recruiting firms. Um, yeah, it's really great to have those experiences. Right. So tell me a little bit about, you founded the company, as I, as I mentioned, in 2014. Tell me a little bit about your journey to where you are, the impetus behind it, you know, the genesis of it. Yeah, certainly, certainly not a linear uh, path. Certainly was not the obvious next step for me. So if you go back um, to that time, I'd actually spent uh, over 15 years in consumer goods marketing. So I'd worked on brands like Blue Moon and Coors Light and Smashburger and Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. And during that during that part of my career, that long part of my career, I'd been in and out of like literally several dozen professional services firms that were my my partners and vendors, ranging from ad agencies to media buyers, PR, accounting, legal, et cetera. And one of the things that they almost all universally have in common is they spend a lot of time and money and brain power trying to build their offices in a way that impress us, their clients. And yet at the same time, they almost universally have a terrible reception experience. There's either no receptionist or a junior account person is sitting there waiting for us. And you walk in and you're, you know, you basically you start walking around and disturbing people or or whatever it takes. And so being someone who spent a lot of time doing technology for these uh, consumer goods companies. I thought that I could put the two together. So I, I basically took my uh, my marketing career, my technology interest, and I, I solved a direct need for, for some of my, my previous partners. So how did that prepare you to be a CEO? <laughs> well, you know, it did and it didn't. So okay. 
Uh, on the one hand, I'd managed teams of people that reported to me. I'd managed teams of cross-functional teammates. Um, I'd operated P&L. Um, I'd been responsible for uh, making sure that a product is built in a manner that solves users' needs, whether they're they're stated or or under the radar needs. So, in a lot of ways, it did help. On the other hand, there there are also all kinds of new experiences. So, managing people in a corporate environment is quite different than managing them in a small environment. Um, there's you know different resources and different expectations. Uh, managing a PNL when you essentially have known resources and and know how to go and get more if you need them versus well where is the next dollar going to come from and uh, you know and and do we have to make decisions on a on a short term ROI basis so in a lot of ways it was extremely helpful in being prepared um, in some ways uh, it didn't help at all uh, and yeah. and had to jump in and and do it and honestly I I love both elements of it. So what would you say are some of the mistakes that you've made along that road to you know, leading a team of people? Yeah, great question. So I would say that, again, I do think that, uh, that how you lead people in a, in a big corporate environment is, is a little bit different. Um, in a big corporate environment, you might have, um, you know, there's a natural rotation. So with a larger organization, your, your supervisor is going to move, you're going to move, your, your people who work for you are going to move just on a, on a basis. And when you balance out that maybe those moves happen every 18 to 24 months and there's, you know, 10 people involved, well, that's, that's a pretty regular amount of rotation. Mm-hmm. Also, there's an element too where, sure, maybe someone reports into me, um, but they really, there's also this bigger corporate structure around it. So it's not like, hey, I'm going to go crazy one day and just fire someone and that's the decision and it's made. Um, there's there there's resources around it, but also there's expectations. So I don't necessarily write a job description, and I don't develop all the criteria. The success criteria comes from above and around, and um, and there's third parties that pull on it within the organization. Where in a smaller organization, you know that relationship could could last a lot longer, and it um you know and and exactly what responsibilities and roles are um are really one on one between employee and supervisor and how success is measured. And there aren't some of those competing and pulling um, resources. So, so knowing that you have to be, um, you know, there's less to pull from to, uh, to, you know, to define how that relationship works. And you have to be uh, more hands-on and uh, make sure things are extremely clear for all parties uh, is, is definitely some of the differences that I found. Mm-hmm. You're privately held, uh, you know, at this stage. Uh, have you yep. taken any, any institutional capital or are you bootstrapping? We have not taken outside capital. We have grown this from uh, from zero to all those amazing global clients that you mentioned earlier, entirely on a bootstrapped uh, financial capital plan. Mm-hmm. And how many customers do you have right now since you mentioned that? Yep. We have uh, about a, a thousand uh, active licenses um, from several hundred uh, clients. Okay. That's fantastic. So, and you've got about 12 employees. So I- I'm curious You've been in business about seven years. You've only got 12 employees. You've got a good number of, you know, good number of customers. Have you thought about institutional capital? Do you, do you, have you gotten where you are now? Is it taking longer than you would have liked it to? What's your, what's your thinking on, on that? I think the answer to all of those questions is yes, but uh, I guess I'll dive in uh, a little bit more than that. We've, de- we definitely thought about it at different um, steps of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we would have been. We I'm, I am confident that we would be a lot bigger uh, had we raised institutional capital. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure that we would necessarily. It would have been worth it. I'm not so sure that we could have used that capital efficiently. So, 
when you work in a small business, um, you are constantly the market, you know, in an emerging high tech marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, the market, our clients need, who our client is, who are the who's who are we in the consideration set against? What technologies are the alternatives? Mm -hmm. That's changed a lot over that period of time. And I think if we had raised capital as recently as two years ago and said, hey, we're going to grow really fast by going after this market. We we would have we would have gained more customers, but I'm not so sure that the that, that it would have had a material effect on our valuation because we might be bigger, but we would have spent a lot of capital to get there. Where so that that's why we haven't really gone out and uh, and and raised it. I think a lot of tech companies, a lot of startups look at raising capital as a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, we never really thought it it brought more shareholder value. We never saw a business plan where it clearly brought more shareholder value. And so we haven't uh, we haven't gone out and done it. Now, we do look at it a little bit differently today. We, we have some incredible opportunities in front of us. We have uh, exclusivity on sole source rights to sell some stuff into the defense industry and the federal government. Um, we think that applies to the enterprise commercial marketplace in a way that maybe our competitors aren't seeing it. So once again, we're considering that, um, but it, it historically has not been uh, the right path for us. Mm -hmm. So what's the what's sort of the layout of your employee base? Like, are most people worker bees, or you know, do you have an executive team? What does that look like? Yep. We have a small executive team um, that focuses on uh, obviously myself operations. Um, a CTO and someone who's looking at the commercial marketing, uh, the commercial market sales and marketing. Okay. Um, and then we have, uh, yep. And then we have, uh, um, uh, obviously a small team of developers, which we supplement with, uh, third party resources, mm -hmm. um, uh, marketing sales and success teams as, as well. Customer success. Right. Yep. Do you have a board of directors or advisors? We have a mostly informal, we have a, a small formal board of directors and we have uh, additional uh, informal advisors. Yes. Okay. And what is their interest or the benefit to them to be there? So on the advisor side, what uh, the way we set it up is as a company, we have a, uh, some informal advisors, but I've also suggested to myself, of course, and to uh, the rest of the leadership team, um, that they go get their own that aren't necessarily directly affiliated. So they're they're people with uh, both functional and personal interest in mm -hmm. assisting the people uh, in the leadership team. Interesting, very interesting. You mentioned some of your customers, and I know that you just received actually some interesting news from the Air Force. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, we've had a lot going on with uh, the U.S. Air Force. They tapped us about two years ago to help them digitize and modernize some of the processes for mm -hmm. entering Air Force bases or installations mm -hmm. as they typically refer to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we built a prototype for them. Uh, simultaneously, they've come back to us in the last uh, month or so, and they said, one, um, we like this prototype. We want to implement it and pilot it at uh, a series of bases. And two, um, we want to do some additional research and development partnered with Greatly to expand the functionality of, of that exact prototype that we're about to start piloting. So we've got um, a combination of both more R&D um, with our partners at the Air Force. We're about to get real-time usage and experience and data uh, to start implementing this. So this is really exciting times for us. That's fantastic. So, you know, looking at the problem that you're solving, that we've talked about it for, for your customers, what's the benefit to them? Is it is it an ROI? Is it a better user experience for them? What is that? Sure. If I were to go back in time and, and kind of in the early stages here, it was it was a better experience. It was a better experience for employees. 
uh, you know, whether they were the person who sat near the door that, you know, was constantly handling someone else's pizza delivery or, or visitors and had nothing to do with them and just simply made them less productive and mm-hmm. stay longer. Mm-hmm. It was a better experience for visitors who, you know, maybe they want to speak to a receptionist like it's the 70s still, but often people want to help themselves and they want to really they're there to conduct business and they just want to get in contact with the person who they're conducting business mm-hmm. with. I would say that that is those are still very relevant, but they're not the primary reasons that these larger entities are working with Greetly. What the reason that they're using Greetly is they have measured the cost of their human capital, and they know that if someone is doing this, then they're not doing something else, and they know whether that something else is more valuable. They also want to and need to secure their workplace, so that might mean that they make sure that someone um, who's not wanted is not on site. Um, They have data around who came. Uh, It allows them to maintain regulatory or internal compliance. So it really is around, we run a secure workplace. Not anyone can get past that reception desk or through that first locked Mm -hmm. door. Um, And this is a system to ensure that they have the right data, the right information, the right decision-making tools to know what is happening real time, what has happened in the past, and how to how to make sure everything is uh, is as needed going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, that you sell into the enterprise as well as SMB, which is a very large. You know, that that really pretty much is everybody. Do you have a sweet spot? Yeah, our sweet spot is um, is enterprise players, typically in manufacturing, logistics, um, tech workplaces, whether that's offices or data centers. That's that's really the sweet spot of our business. Yeah, interesting. You also mentioned, you talked about your competitors. What does the competitive landscape look like in your business? Where do you fit in? Yeah, well, broadly, um, the competitive set is um, any way that you might do visitor management. So it might be that you have nothing. Um, It might be that you do have a full-time dedicated receptionist. Um, Oftentimes, it's that you have someone with, uh, with split duties. Maybe they're an office manager or another, um, you know, junior HR person, and they kind of double as a receptionist. Mm-hmm. Um, in the technology world, there's there's a couple of weight pieces. There's some um, highly manual technology. So the, these enterprise secure workplaces, typically they might have a receptionist and or a security guard that's running desktop, what I might call legacy software. Mm-hmm. Um, can I see your ID? Can I right, maybe take right. a picture of you? Someone's literally running that software. So we replace that in a lot of cases because it's mm-hmm. self-help, but has all the same functionality. Um, and then there's some other tablet-based uh, providers in our uh, in our competitive set as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a broad look at, uh, at at who we compete with. The reason we win is incredible customization. So from a branding standpoint, from a workflow standpoint, really whatever you want this to look like, however you need this to work um, to meet the achievements of what happens at your reception desk, really is incredibly customizable and can achieve that. And again, uh, we're security driven. So our mm-hmm. data security uh, uses best in class. Um, we're based in the US, which, you know, for some people in Europe, maybe that's not it, not the best, but for uh, a lot of organizations, that means that their data is stored where they want it to be. It means that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not doing nefarious activities with their data. So from a security standpoint, we keep your workplace secure, both on site um, and your data as well. So let's go back to the uh, U.S. Air Force here for a second. They probably don't want just anybody wandering onto their base. Uh, I have experienced that going uh, going into the Air Force Academy <laughs> uh, personally, where you know they have guards. You can't, you know, you either you need a badge or you need something to get onto the onto the Air Force Academy. And but with their bases, what I'm wondering about is is anybody getting on that doesn't already have an appointment? <laughs> 
There's no, there should not okay. be. So okay. to get on a base, so there, there's you do a need check. A there's a check, a security check. So you, they'll know when you, you know, when you go to when you go to the the um, to Greeley that you know this person has an appointment to print out. Right. Match. So to get on a, to get on a, a, an Air Force base, and I believe that that is, this is true across the defense industry mm-hmm. and, and pretty much every secure federal right. government facility, right. you need a sponsor. So you might mm-hmm. have. Um, a sponsor who says this person is coming on Tuesday at 3 p.m. Or you might have mm-hmm. a sponsor that says this person is coming from Tuesday at 9 a.m. until 60 days later or 90 days later, and they can come and go as they need. Someone does need to uh, to have that. But what, once that sponsor says, yes, this person is someone that I want on base or need on base or is approved to be on base, um, they do run a series of processes um, that are checks and balances against that. So, you know, does your criminal background or history match what uh, what they approved to have on base. Right. Sex offender, are you um, are you specifically not wanted on that or other bases because of activities that uh, that maybe don't show up in those databases? Um, are you a known potential spy, um, et cetera? So there's, there's a bunch more that happens. Mm. When you show up, you're basically at the last step of a lot of background um, execution that has happened beforehand. Well, that's super interesting. Is there any sort of particular outdated advice in this industry that some people might be giving out? Great question. Uh, I was on uh, with potential very large prospect yesterday, and they gave the advice of, "Well, we're a hospitality-driven organization, so we like, you know, so right. so our visitors want to speak to a human." Yeah, I get and it. <laughs> I typically, you know, I, I I think that there's a lot of Truth to that is what it comes down to. Um, you know, organizations do want to be hospitality driven, but you know they want to separate themselves from the competition by by being hospitality driven. But the question is, does hospitality driven mean that you always want that your visitors always want to speak to a human, so mm-hmm. that you have a human, so that they can address any needs? Some visitors, I think of my father-in-law, super gregarious, always wants to come in and chat with anyone who's in sight. He definitely <laughs> wants to talk to the receptionist um, right. before he uses uh, self-help. Yeah, but a lot of other people don't. They simply don't. They, uh, in a covert era or not, they don't want to have a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's because they're introverted or because they're focused on something else at the mm-hmm. moment, they check in. They just want to do it themselves. They want to be fast. They want to sit anonymously. So ultimately, our our argument would be that a great hospitality driven organization offers both. They offer someone that's there for people who want it for exception handling. Um, and they offer self-help for people who want to be quick, people who, who, who don't want, you know, just idle chit chat. So, but that is, that is the outdated advice is, you know, you know, organizations that believe that the only way to do it is to have a human dedicated towards its function. Yeah, that's really interesting. So who would you say is your ideal client and, and is there an ideal client? And then are you connecting with them? Are they connecting with you or is it a combination of both? So I would say when I think about our ideal client, one that comes to mind is a, uh, a gaming group. So a casino group. Uh. Um, they, use, they use us um, to get into their back of house. So obviously you don't need to use it to get mm-hmm. into the hotel. You don't need it to get into the gaming floor, sure. of course. Um, but if you want to go into the back of house where they, you know, I don't know exactly what's back there, but I presume there's a lot of cash and a lot of servers <laughs> and a lot of other things that they consider extremely valuable. Yes. I would agree. Um, across their, their multiple casinos, mm-hmm. everyone has to check in, including employees. So employees and known contractors can either check in the way a visitor would, they, mm-hmm. or they can also scan their, their badge. Um, we'll read it, interpret it, and, and check in. They need to know every entry and, and exit. And visitors as well. Visitors will check themselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of uh, activities will happen 
Um, it's that we, we tie all entry and exit records to a security guard who's on duty at that entry point at that mm -hmm. point in time. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I consider this an ideal client is that uh, what they're doing this for is, is, is largely, well, largely to protect their assets, but sure. also that they need to be regulatorily compliant. So mm -hmm. at any moment in time, across casinos and across entry points, they might be asked to turn in who has been there um, at a period of time. And in the old days, they would use different systems at different uh, different properties, and they'd have to aggregate that and do a lot of work to put them into one format and send it over. And now they can do it in about 30 seconds. They can basically run a saved report, um, meet their compliance needs. It saves everyone time. It makes them look good to um, the agencies. Again, we keep their, their workplace secure. So you know, that's, that's what I would consider an ideal client. Um, almost all of our business has historically been inbound. Um, so we are very findable for almost anything that you might think about um, regarding secure visitor management or the visitor experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've, we've had clients in uh, six continents in about 25 countries using Greetly in about 30 different languages. Mm -hmm. um, find us uh, almost entirely through an inbound uh, marketing process. Really, that's really interesting. What's the sales cycle look like? And, and, and can you say, and are you even willing to say, like what an average deal size is? Well, we don't get that level of specifics in terms of dollars and cents, but okay. uh, the sales cycle for us, we, ironically, we do like to do this on a hospitality basis. And so uh, we've, tried, <laughs> we've tried different things. We've tried find us, launch a trial, and, and it's an entirely self-help process. And there's a lot of benefits to that, um, but we now strongly encourage a demo. And the reason we do this is one, it allows us to understand our clients and our prospects and their business a little bit more and customize mm -hmm. solutions. Mm -hmm. But with all the customization that is built into our product, again, in terms of branding and workflow customization, reporting customization, you know, where with, with uh, a trial, you might spend a few days, you know, a few hours tinkering around and maybe or maybe not getting it to work exactly as you need. With the demo in about 15 minutes, we can hear what your business is all about, your organization is all about, and we can hand over to you um, something that's basically somewhere between 80 and 100% of exactly what you need to operate your visitor experience. And so mm -hmm. that's that's what we typically look like for a process. Honestly, oftentimes we'll close right on uh, right on the demo, but sometimes it's you know it could take a couple of weeks after that for different types of pilots or approvals or whatever it might be. Well, and I would think you know to your to your example of a large casino group, I can't imagine them making making that kind of a decision in a fifteen minute demo call. That uh, that did not go exactly that way. That uh, that was actually through an RFP process and a response and right. uh, a long on site okay. um, experience and and uh, possibly the longest part of that process was contracting. That was always mm -hmm. fun. I always like spending time with my lawyer uh super nice group <laughs> uh, but yeah that one certainly was uh was was longer okay. but to be honest really not that long probably soup to nuts it was probably only about an eight-week process um, which is still a really you know comparatively to you know when you're thinking about enterprise software yeah it does not usually happen that fast yeah so they're they're really good they're buying a lot of things all the time which again a lot of enterprise companies are but specifically um, in casinos, basically enterprise software is almost everything that runs that casino, right. including the slot machines and obviously yep. security. In this case, they happen to know their process. They said a lot, probably more than half of the time was spent in uh, in the contracting uh, contracting yeah. process. But going yeah. through, showing them that this could solve their need, um, the onboarding process of setting it up and configuring it for all their casinos exactly as they needed it for us. That's our bread and butter, and so we're mm -hmm. able to we do that all day, every day. And mm -hmm. it was. Uh, was quite fast and simple. Mm -hmm. Looking ahead 
12 months from now, uh, Dave, what are you looking at from a projected growth standpoint, employee standpoint? Yeah, well, we've on a, on a revenue standpoint, we've doubled um, every year of our existence. So right. uh, I would expect that there's an opportunity to do that or potentially more. I mean, okay. the, the, the gravy, so to speak, is going to depend on exactly how aggressive the Air Force uh, gets with implementing this. We've spoken with about a dozen bases and have uh, letters of support from virtually all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but our contacts, our main points of contact um, are saying that it could be bigger than that, faster than that. Um, and so mm-hmm. there's a lot of for small businesses working through just simply how you do business with the Air Force. That mm-hmm. is uh, a two-way street. Um, right. We're learning it on them and they're learning it about us. Um, and our main points of contact think that uh, that really once we get through a, a short pilot phase, this could explode um, from their usage. That's fantastic. Are you uh, just, I'm just kind of curious about this. Are you uh, on any of our local bases here in Colorado since we have so many of them? <laughs> we do have quite a few. Um, we are used, um, a part of our solution is used at Trever, the home of Space okay. Command um, mm-hmm. down uh, east of Colorado Springs. So right. uh, we're in use there. Um, they use a piece of our solution. We're um, also in use, well, not in Colorado, in the Tahoe area. Mm-hmm. Beal is already using a part of our solution. We're, uh, we're, we have two or three other bases that are going to do a Great. quick start. Um, and then the, the heavier duty solution, we're looking mm-hmm. at uh, three to five bases starting in, in, in mm-hmm. early 2022. Fantastic. So what does that mean like for, for an employee, employee growth for you? You're getting, getting a lot of this you know, business done. We, yeah, we've projected this out many times. I would expect that our employee base would probably match what revenue growth looks like, largely on the on the dev side. So um, mm-hmm. both product development, DevOps, technical support. So kind of the the tier three and four support, um, not not interfacing with the users necessarily, but mm-hmm. uh, um, but making sure that we have the technology to to, to resolve things quickly. That would be um, that's what that's what we've projected out is it approximately matches revenue. Um, mm-hmm. Historically, we've been generally on track looking at it that way. But, you know, I also know that all all uh, forecasts are guaranteed to be wrong. So we'll just find out how it's wrong over time. <laughs> forecasts are guaranteed to be wrong. What's, what's your sales organization look like? Is it, is it, a, is it a, like an organization of one or? No, we have in addition to our, our uh, chief strategy office who oversees all commercial efforts. Sure. Um, we have a couple of account managers. And, and in a lot of cases, uh, they're set up to oversee a client's experience from the first time they express mm-hmm. any interest in our product, you know, as long as they're with us. Right. Um, that's what we like to be the first point of support. But of course, there are times when they turn that over to our, our success team for additional mm-hmm. additional mm-hmm. needs. Yeah, that's interesting. If somebody was, you know, just looking at this industry thinking, huh, I'd like to, I'd like to get into a business like that. Is there any advice you would give them? Do you be willing to divulge? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. Okay. I'd have to really think about okay. that. I'd, I'd yeah. might take either a couple of really great green teas or, or whiskey before uh, <laughs> okay. I came up with anything insightful there. Well, maybe the green teas first, then the whiskeys. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. depending on what kind of creativity you want to have, right? <laughs> you know, I think I would give the same advice. I would give you know, coming from a coming from a, a corporate world um and you know starting a company uh my first few years was was littered with non-stop meetings with people saying hey i'm also looking to start my own company from people from my my consumer goods mm-hmm. uh background sure and i don't know of anyone who actually did yeah. and uh maybe i'm the cause of that because i would typically tell people it looks easy you've seen the movie the social yeah. network it seems glamorous 
Oh, you're going to ski every time there's a, a powder day or, or whatever it is. <laughs> you're, you're really on your own schedule. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's not even remotely true. Yeah, you work no harder than ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whenever being all evers. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think my advice on, on, on this field in particular is my advice on, you know, uh, it, it's a, it's a lot harder than it looks. Um, you got to have a real passion for what you're doing and a mm-hmm. dedication. I started this because I saw, um, people who I consider my friends, my, you know, my, in my professional network, people that I'd worked really closely with for years. And I, I looked at their business and I said, look, I can, I'm not going to be their creatives. I'm not going to be their accountants. Um, but I see something that could make their businesses better. And I started this for them. Um, and, you know, and, and as the opportunity came to <clears throat> solve a big need to help um, the Air Force and our defense industry focus on defending our country as opposed to the current processes they have in place, which is error prone and takes an incredible amount of manpower. I, you know, I, I rebuild that passion. I can really help this large organization do one of the many things they do so much more efficiently that I believe they can do all the other things they do more efficiently through, through what we do here. So it takes a lot of time and a lot of passion, whether it's this or anything else you want to start from scratch from zero to one, as uh, Peter Thiel said, it's, uh, it, mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no question about that. As you, you know very well, and yes. you're living right this moment. Yeah, exactly. Do you foresee at any time, as I'm listening to you talk about you're calling into DOD, right? You know, most software companies have separate salespeople that have some sort of clearance to go in and sell to DOD, right? Versus the guys who just, you know, call into commercial that do not need yep. that kind of background. Uh, it depends on how far down the road. So it, uh, as painful as it can be um, to work with the with the DOD, they do have um, the SBA has programs, and they are mm. um, they are set up to make exceptions for small businesses. I did not know that. Yes. So the SBA um, um, with uh, the twelve largest federal agencies have you know some processes in place that make it so it's not completely impossible for us to work with them. Hmm. Um, but that will only last so long. So there will be a point in time mm-hmm. when we, you know, when we surpass, surpass that. So in the short term, we, uh, you know, in the short term, we're able to do it. You know, I'm able to do a lot of it as the founder and our team. Some of our team is able to between commercial and government mm-hmm. um, at any point in time over the course of a day or a week or a month or whatever it might be. But yes, we're heading to a, down the path where we'll have people who are dedicated towards the government side of the business and other people dedicated towards the commercial side mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a lot less crossover. Um, yeah. I don't know exactly when that'll be, but that is definitely the future. Mm-hmm. Very great. So what does your day-to-day look like as a leader, Dave? What do you spend your time doing? Well, <laughs> you know, what I, what I spend most of my time doing is what I like spending my time doing, which is meeting with staff. Obviously, we're in a COVID world. Um, some of our teammates are, you know, coast to coast, so I don't get to do it in person. Um, but I spend, you know, everyone that I can meet with in person, um, I go to lunch with them or breakfast, their choice, not a morning person, uh, uh, as often as possible in person. And with everyone else, I like to, you know, carve out, uh, 30 to 45 minute just check-ins and talk about things that are not necessarily work-related I understand them, what motivates them, um, why they are here, how I can help them. Um, and, and just kind of pick their brains for ideas as much as possible. When I'm not speaking with uh, people on our team, um, I love speaking with customers. I love just kind of dipping in and listening into our account managers give demos and just hear what prospects are saying, um, joining in on on support meetings and, and hearing what's being said. I just kind of love 
hearing what are the what are the use cases, what are the needs, why did they contact us this particular time or in general, um, you know, how they see the market potentially evolving. So I'd love just kind of dealing with people basically is what I what I spend most of my time doing and, and what I enjoy doing the most mm-hmm. as well. How would you describe your culture? Great question as well. It's uh, it's been tough. So we, you know, we were a small kind of fighter group of people when we operated in person, and I think that that's still kind of in place today. But uh, it's harder to get a real read on it. Uh, we have uh, we do have our, our cultural values, um, and uh, and again, you know, we we bring them up and we try and implement them where possible. But being, you know, going from in person. Uh, largely in person to remote and then scattered around the country as COVID hit us. It's just harder to get a, a feel of how um, how attached people are to it today versus a couple of years ago when that was easier. Have you done any kind of active reach out to ask them how they feel? <laughs> well, that is a lot of my, uh, that is a lot of, uh, you know, kind of these one-on-one meetings right. that I have with the, with members of the team. It's hard. It's, you know, I could see it in action sometimes a little bit more when, uh, when, when things were happening in person. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Um, but it's also hard to, uh, you know, it's hard to get a, as great a read as I had in the past. Yeah. What kind of, if any turnover have you had due to maybe a mishire on culture? You realize, oh yeah, this person doesn't fit at all. Sure, it certainly happened, unfortunately. You know, and uh, for us, the times that it's happened, it's been really, really fast. Yeah. Um, we are extremely deliberate um, in how we write job descriptions. Um, we describe our culture. We put our cultural values in there. We describe exactly what metrics we're going to use to mm-hmm. to um, determine whether a candidate's done a good job. Great. Um, and we've had a couple of people who have started and within two, three, four weeks have said, Oh, you like really meant that thing. Uh, well, I don't really know how to do that. Oy. And, uh, worked with them to see, can, do you, ha- you know, can we find a mentor for you? Do you have people you can tap into? And it's either worked or not worked, but it's often been mm-hmm. extremely quick. Yeah. And have you then been able to look back and think, okay, so this, we made this mistake. What do we need to do differently to prevent that from happening again? Yeah, so we've had some success in uh, in 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 understanding ourselves a little bit better in some cases, okay. and in other cases, we've determined that uh, you know it takes a different approach. Either we're asking for something that's that's not out there, either you know either the compensation that we have or mm-hmm. the company size that we have, the ability right. to track them, or the geography that we're thinking about. Yep. Or alternatively, we've said you know there's been a couple of times where we said instead of hiring someone and and assuming that we're going to hire the right person, let's hire two or three people to do kind of similar stuff, have someone evolve into a leader and, uh, and we'll have a, you know, we'll basically have a bigger organization. We might overpay upfront to have multiple people doing something similar, but we plan on growing into it. So we've kind of have Mm -hmm. a team and we have Mm -hmm. uh, established roles. So we've taken some corrective action, but you know, there's certainly not, as you know, again, very well, um, helping companies like ours and and larger hire this, there's not a magic formula. I don't believe there's a magic formula anyway, where once you learn from a couple of mistakes, you get it down perfectly after that. Well, that's a, that's a considerably longer conversation. Um, <laughs> what I what I would say about that is that no matter what you do, no matter what I could teach anyone, you're not going to hire at 100 percent success. That's just not possible. I believe the goal should be that you hire it at least at 95 percent, right? It it you know, and and there are ways to minimize your you know your loss. Right. And like I said, it's a much longer conversation, but it, it's just partly a lot of founders just sort of hunt and peck their, their way through it. 
as we've talked about. And, and yeah. nor they pick up a book, as you had mentioned in, in an earlier call. Um, and, you know, with all due respect to one of the books that you mentioned, neither of those people have ever been in, have never sat where I sat for 29 years, right? Sure. They they never picked up a phone and, and, you know, called a candidate. They never picked up a phone and, you know, they never sat down and wrote a position description, uh, you know, with, with the company. They never asked the question, well, you know, can you actually attract the person that we're describing? Right. (laughs) Which you mentioned, right? So my, my issue with books, even though I've got one coming out, but it's not really a how to do this book is, is there's no interaction with a book. Yeah. Right. So no, I, I think one of the also the underappreciated parts of the hiring process, especially when you're growing, is mm-hmm. when you identify someone great to then like land them, um, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I think that's a mistake that I've seen, you know, yes. that I've seen made both at the corporate level um, and here where you find a great candidate, you make a decision and you sit, you know, and, you know, and, and, and maybe they don't come back and go, oh, great, I'm ecstatic to start. You know, when can I start? But if it comes to negotiation, you can lose some momentum there. That's but right. if you found a great candidate, get them, get them in-house, get them started quickly, get them trained. Because um, again, even as you said, you know, the target should be a 95% success rate. That's right. Um, you either want them doing the work that you want them doing. And mm-hmm. if you find someone great, you want them doing that work. Or again, there's going to be, there's going to be times that it doesn't work and you want to move on quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, starting the process over or delaying the process or going after, going after a second candidate can work. It's worked for me here. It's worked for me elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but the odds are probably not as good as if you land that first candidate that you've, you've, you've defined as, as number one. Well, or when you talk about, you know, the first candidate or going after a second, people saying, you know, interviewing one guy or one gal, right? One individual and thinking, well, this person is fantastic. And in fact, I, I, I'll, I'll never forget that that happened to me. Uh, in a search some time ago when I was still doing that work. And somebody, the, the first candidate I sent in was the candidate they subsequently hired. And, and, and the stakeholder says to me, well, you, know, you have anybody else? I said, well, here's the challenges I'm having, right? And I went through all those challenges. I did subsequently find them one other candidate or maybe two. But I said, this is the problem. When you see the best candidate first, I mean, my feeling is if that candidate fits all your criteria, if we really are clear on what we need, then you better go after that candidate. You can lose that person by saying, yep. yeah, we want to see three or four people. Yep. In a perfect world, that's the way it should be. But sometimes that just does that we do not live in a perfect world. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. What are the odds in the world of this of billions of people? But hey, it can happen. Well, it can. So, yeah, that, and, that's, and that's really great. So, and then, of course, you're closing people is not as easy as you think it is, right? Yep. And, and a lot of founders, I think, don't, well, they really don't. They don't know the right questions to ask along the way to make sure they're qualifying the person because a lot of founders aren't salespeople. Yep. So they're not used to that sort of uh, constantly qualifying somebody and asking questions and how can I solve your problems and so on and so forth. So yeah, that's really that's a great way of uh, thinking about it. I mean, it is a it is, you know it is a two way sales job. You know, I, the many times I've been a candidate throughout my my prior career, the many mm-hmm. times I've been a candidate, you you, you know I I've typically gone for jobs where they're hiring one person. You know, mm-hmm. I know there's jobs where they're hiring two or three or ten mm-hmm. or Amazon's mm-hmm. hiring hundreds mm-hmm. at a time, but I've gone for jobs where they're hiring one person. Everyone always says, oh, it's a two way street the interview, um, but it really isn't until the very end. That's so it's correct. a two way. 
that they are going to either give me a chance for me for my opinion to matter or not. That's right. And so my job is to sell them as a candidate. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, as soon as they select me, all of a sudden it is it becomes a two way street right. or the street reverses course, and all yeah. of a sudden I get to um, to put it on them. And so you know their 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 job really isn't to impress me the whole time. It is to make this choose me or someone else as a candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, but then but then you know if they haven't impressed me, all of a sudden I get my chance to ask questions. You know maybe I do walk away. I, you know, maybe I do have a job right. right now. Maybe I do have a competing offer, and I don't. I'm not even interested to ask you questions because mm-hmm. I didn't like how it went. So yeah, it's a, it is. Yeah, an that's so process. great. I mean, a lot of founders. It, I mean, you're not a kid. Maybe that's part of it. Um, that you've been around long enough to understand that that it, it, an interview is really just like a high level sales call, right? You as the candidate, your job is to ask smart questions geared around what you can do for them, not what they can do for you. Sell, sell, yep. sell, sell, sell. Yep. And those tables are not turned. And you pointed that out. And I was thrilled to hear that from you. Those tables do not turn until at which point they want to hire you. They decide they want to yep. hire you. Now they have to answer your questions. Yep. Right. Life is a sales call. That's right. That's really, that's really great. So what do you do on your time off? Uh, we both live in America. What I refer to as America's playground. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you said, we both live in Colorado. Um, I, you know, I love when, uh, when, when the snow falls, I love doing everything outdoors. Uh, mm-hmm. I love winter personally, um, yeah. big into, into snowboarding, um, snowshoeing, anything mm. involving just yeah. winter and the beautiful dry weather and, the and the being in a snow globe here in Colorado is my favorite, um, plates tennis in summer terribly. Um, a lot of losing tennis matches in summer. I have a family, so I love spending time with my wife and two kids and uh, um, and our puppy. Um, I'd say that's uh, that's a that's a big majority of it. Fantastic. So uh, finally, if someone uh, listening to this podcast says, "Well, this is a pretty interesting idea these guys have. I, I I'd be interested in investigating working with them, working for them." What would you suggest they do? Well, I guess uh, give me a call. We'll talk through it. I'll probably spend a lot of time discouraging you and telling you why it doesn't make sense. And uh, if there's really some some passion and interest for uh, for a good reason, we can figure out what uh, you know what might be the right fit or the right role or the right mm-hmm. reasons or what to do next or what else to explore um, to take a look either at this or the industry or mm-hmm. technology or startups, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how does someone reach you, or where is the appropriate place for them to reach you? Yep. So you can contact us at 833-GREATLY. Um, I'm at extension 303 or Dave at com. G-R-E-E-T-L-Y. Well, fantastic. Well, Dave Milliken, uh, founder and CEO of Greatly, this has really been an enjoyable conversation. We had a couple of attempts to get this done and had technical errors. So yes, I'm we thrilled did. to have finally actually had a whole conversation with you. It's, it's really been nice talking with you. Thank you. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews 
go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.